Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for tonight. Thank you, Lord, for the time we have now to be in your word. And we ask, Lord, that you would would be with us. Lord, would you help us to magnify your name, just as we've sung now. Lord, help us to magnify your name and your word. And as we listen, but also as we take it and seek to apply it to our lives. Lord, may you be magnified. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Amen. Why don't you tell somebody it's good to see them as you make your seat. Merry Christmas. Looking good. Any of them? All right, well, if you have with you your Bible or a way to read the Word, I want to ask that you'd open up to 1 John, the book of 1 John chapter 5. Uh, 1 John chapter 5, we're going to look at verses 20 and 21. Uh, We have been walking through a series called Advent in which we've just been looking forward uh, to the second coming of Christ as we look back at the first coming of Christ. And what we see as we look back is that God fulfills His promises. Amen? And we've seen this from uh, through the Old Testament as we've walked through just a few passages there over the last few weeks, uh, that God is fulfilling His promise, that Christ did in fact come, and that this was the fulfillment of great promises. Now, the, the promise of a Savior, right? Just as we've sung about even now. Looking forward, what we're waiting on now is the second coming of Christ. The time where He will return as Lord of Lords, King of Kings, and uh, redeem all things. It'll be a new heaven, a new earth. And so we look forward uh, to the realization of that promise. But as we approach that, as we move toward that, uh, there's life to live, there's work to be done. And so um, we're in between, right? We're in between the first and second comings of Christ. Now, What I want to focus on tonight is just the coming of Christ, God incarnate in the Son. And uh, in verse 20 of chapter 5, let me just read these to you. Uh, I won't have you stand tonight since you just sat, but uh, 1 John 5, 20 through 21, I'm going to read these. When I finish, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord, and you can reply, thanks be to God. Chapter 5, verse 20, 1 John. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true and we are in Him who is true. In His Son, Jesus Christ, He is the true God and eternal life. Verse 21, little children, keep yourselves from idols. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. I would ask you, as we approach Christmas, this is, um, I was telling Wells yesterday, this is the best 72 hours of the year, right? I mean, it's just, there's so much going on, there's so much anticipation leading up to uh, Christmas morning. But I would ask, is there anything that you've ever anticipated? Maybe maybe it's a gift, maybe, uh, you know, all of you children in here, certainly, right? You're anticipating Christmas morning, the reception of gifts. And you know that when there's anticipation for something, there's an excitement, there's an eagerness, there's an impatience, sometimes coupled with patience, but 
Sometimes it's just impatience, right? And that's just kind of the nature of anticipation. Well, uh, sometimes you're anticipating the getting or the receiving of a gift, but sometimes, how many of you are the kind of gift giver that like you really struggle to just wait to give your gift, right? I, I kind of that way myself. I've done all right so far, but we still have 48 hours, so we'll see. Um, I, my mother-in-law uh, once was so excited about a gift. I think I've shared the story before, but I'll share it again. It's been a few years. She was once so excited. We do Christmas Eve at the Dooley's, all right? Now, Christmas Eve at the Dooley's is, it's almost as many people as you see here tonight, right? I mean, it's, it's a lot of folks. The, the Dooley's are good at reproduction. They took God's Word seriously, and they reproduced well. And so, praise God for that. Um, but it's a, it, it's a sight. I mean, it's, it's a lot of people crammed into a living room, and there's a lot of excitement and just paper and gifts and joy and laughs, and I mean, we have a big time. Well, what happened at the end of one of these nights is Mamaw, my mother-in-law, she had a gift that she had stashed away. She was just kind of waiting on the moment to give it, and this was for my father-in-law. And so she kind of goes to the back room. She makes this big announcement. And so, you know, you got 40 people or so all staring at Papa as he opens this present. And he goes to unwrap the gift, and it's a big box. And she sets it in his lap, and, and uh, he starts unwrapping, you know. And he opens it up, and it's a chainsaw, brand-new chainsaw. And he's, he's excited, you know, he's thrilled, she's excited, everybody's, you know, like clapping, you know, it's just a big deal. He was really thrilled. Well, he goes to open up the box, and as he opens the box, the box is empty. There is no chainsaw inside. Straight from the store, no chainsaw inside. How he didn't know that sitting in his lap, how she didn't know that when bringing it home, I'll never understand, but that's how it happened. And so there was all this anticipation, there was all this buildup, all this excitement for this one moment, and everybody, and of course, the, we just broke out in laughter. You know, it was just the, the funniest Christmas Eve uh, that I can remember, anyway. And, and that's sometimes what it's like waiting on something, right? You wait and wait and wait, and then it, the anticipation just was more excitement than the, the actual moment, Right? Or the actual moment doesn't deliver like you want. Sometimes this is anticipation. Sometimes anticipation lets you down. You know, it doesn't quite turn out the way you want. It doesn't quite turn out the way you hope. Well, what if you had to wait years for a gift? What if you had to wait decades for a gift? What if you had to wait centuries or millennium for a gift? It'd be a lot of anticipation building, right? And this is what's taking place across your Old Testament. 4,000 or so years of anticipation to the moment that Christ would step foot on the earth, to the moment that a seed would be born uh, uh, for, through a virgin as the prophecies anticipate. And so it began with the promise to Adam in Genesis 3.15 that there would come one who would crush the head of the serpent we see it continued with the covenant of Abraham in Genesis 12, which is just further amplified in Genesis 15. We see the covenant made once again with David. Multiple times, God is telling His people 
what is to come, that there is coming one who will rule and rule well, who will rule forever. There is coming one who will liberate his people finally forever from their sins. There is coming one who will crush the head of the serpent by his own death. The book of Isaiah, God again is telling his people, Isaiah chapter 7, Behold, the virgin shall conceive, and she shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. God, once again, is telling His people what's to come. And there's anticipation building for that day. And yet that anticipation is building because they're in the darkness of sin still. They're still in a sin-marred, fallen world. They're still in a place where, um, where, where sin is destroying their lives. They're in captivity. They're outside of the promised land. God's people are dwelling in great darkness, as we saw in Isaiah uh, chapter 8. Things are bleak, and yet there's the promise, there's the hope of salvation. There's the hope of redemption, and it resounds, it reverberates off the walls of eternity as they are waiting, anticipating, hoping, wondering, when will the day arrive? Delays of promised mercies do not weaken God's promises. Amen? The delay of His promised mercies do not weaken His promises. Though they might, they might serve to strengthen your patience. They might lengthen your patience. Your patience may become long-suffering, as we've talked about. But you can count on God. Amen? God fulfills His promises. He will not let you down. His promises are sure, and you can trust that Christ indeed has come to save sinners. This is what 1 John chapter 5, verse 20 is telling you. I'll read this first part of it again. And we know, the Apostle John is saying, we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true. So this is what I want you to know tonight. You are enlightened in the knowledge of the true eternal God by the coming of Christ. The coming of Christ is an enlightenment for you in the knowledge of the true eternal God. You can know God because Christ has come. You don't have to know about God. You don't have to read about God, though certainly you must do those things. But you're not limited to those things. You can finally know God, and you can know peace with God. Christ is the promised Messiah. Christ, Christ is the one who has come. Christ is the one who makes known to us God. This is what John writes in his gospel in chapter 1, verse 18, when he says that no one has seen God, but Jesus, the Word incarnate, has made Him known to us. He's revealed Him for us. He has opened our minds so that we might understand. That's what John's writing here. He has enlightened us so that we might understand and we might discern the true glories of God. 
The coming of the incarnate child, the incarnate Christ, is nothing less than the ability to finally know who God is and to see Him in full HD, clear picture. He is infinitely, this is what we see in Christ. This this is what we know about God because of Christ. God is infinitely superior in purity and power and perfection to all other gods. He is the one true God. He has all the excellencies, the beauties, and the riches of the true living God. He is the same God who created the heaven and the earth. He is the same God responsible for you, (laughs) the one who brought you into the world. This Christ is the exact imprint of God's nature. He is the radiance of His glory, Hebrews 1 tells us. It is this Christ, this God who has come. See, there was no way for the law to save mankind. The law was set up as a mirror for mankind to look into and to see that he is unable to save himself. Because you and I can't abide by the law perfectly. We're not going to keep the laws of God perfectly. You're already a sinner condemned in your sins. If you've told a lie, if you've hated a brother, if you've looked upon someone with lust in your heart, if you've coveted your neighbor's possessions, if you have ordered your life around the service of something like money, you're an idolater. You see, every one of us is a sinner through and through. Every one of us is condemned in our sins. And so the beauty of Christ's coming is nothing less than God Himself, the second member of the Trinity, the Son of God, entering into the darkness of sin and death and destruction and taking it on Himself so that He might save His people from their sins. In Christ, you can have salvation. In Christ, you can be set free. In Christ, you can know God. He has come to save His people from their sins. This is what Matthew chapter 1, verse 21 through 23. And what I want you to know about these verses is they come on the heels of the genealogy of Christ. Now, typically, when you're reading your Bible, you may skip over genealogies. You may think, this genealogy is not that important. It's a lot of names. I don't know how to pronounce most of them. Let me just kind of read over it and then move on. The genealogy of Christ in Matthew's gospel, Matthew's writing largely to a Jewish audience. And so he says, this Christ is the son of David, the son of Abraham. He's connecting him to the two most important covenants for the Jews, the covenant with Abraham and the covenant with David. And he's saying this Christ is the one who will bless the nations. This Christ is the one who will dwell on a throne of which there will be no end. His government will go on forever and ever, and there will be peace with him. And the other thing about the genealogy that you see is not just that it's tied to Abraham and David, which is incredible. It helps us know that this is the fulfillment of all that God has been promising. But the other thing that you see as you look through there is you see a cast of characters that look a lot like you and me. There's 
There's people who hated others. There's people who murdered others. There's people who uh, committed adultery. There's people who sold themselves for um, sexual impurities. There's people who worshipped other gods at times. I mean, the beautiful thing about this is is, is really that in, in the people that Jesus comes from, it anticipates the people he came for. The kind of people he comes from anticipates the kind of people he came to save. He came to save his people from their sins. Matthew 1, 21 through 23, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That's the announcement from the angel Gabriel to uh, Joseph. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophets. Isaiah, some 700 years earlier, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Do you see what's happening? In the incarnation of Christ and the birth of Christ, the reason we celebrate Christmas, in this, nothing less than the birth of your Savior has happened. Born to save sinners, God with us. Born to die, God with us. Born to dwell in eternity, reigning over all of His creation in perfect dominion. Christ the Savior is born. Amen? And we see this so clearly. In 1 John 5.20, the second part of the verse, we read this. And we are in Him who is true, in His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. And so what we see here is that we have a a happy union now with God and with Christ because of Christ. We have a happy union with God because of the Son. The Son has brought us into fellowship if you have been reborn. Right? The Son brings us to the Father, and we are hidden in both the Father and the Son by the Spirit of God. Now, how? Well, it's the Spirit that causes rebirth. It's the Spirit that grants you new life. You are a new creation in Christ. And so by your faith now, you are united with Christ and with the Father by the Spirit of God alive in you. This is the reason that Christ has come. Christ doesn't split heaven and earth. Christ doesn't split time. Christ doesn't do these things so that we'll show up and gather under candlelight or low lighting and sing some beautiful songs about His birth and go home. He comes to unite people to Himself, to unite sinners, people who were once far off. He brings them near. Amen? He comes to save sinners of which you and I most assuredly are. And this is why we come tonight. This is why we show up under low lighting and sing wonderful songs about the birth and the life of Christ. This is why we seek to exalt Him, is because by Him we have been brought into union with God, something we could not, could not ever achieve by our own good works. It's impossible. It's impossible. And so the Son of God brings us into fellowship. We are now hidden 
in God and the Father by the Spirit. We are now hidden in the love and the favor of both. We are now in covenant with both God and the Son according to this new covenant of grace. By this union with God, according to His grace and mercy, we have nothing less than eternal life. The incarnation of Christ is God fulfilling His promise to save His people. That's what I want you to know tonight. This is why I want you to sing uh, with deep, uh, with loud voices tonight. It's because Christ has saved His people from their sins. And if tonight you have hidden yourself in Christ, you have placed your faith in Him, you've surrendered your life to Him, you've repented of your sins and believed in Jesus, then tonight you are hidden in Christ and you must sing. You must believe the word that is being preached. You must hide it deep in your heart and let it change who you are. This is what John gets at in 1 John 5, 21 as he concludes his first epistle. What does he write? He says, little children, which is his way of addressing disciples. It's not an insult to be called a little child. It's to say that you are a child of God reborn into His family, a brother of Christ. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. I love it. I'm a, I'm a simple guy, and I need simple instructions sometimes. You're hidden in Christ. You've been, you've been given a perfect union with the Father and with the Son by the Spirit of God. He saved you from your sins. You've been brought out of darkness and placed into His marvelous light. Now what? Little children, keep yourselves from idols. What an encouragement at Christmas. I mean, if we're not careful, idolatry is going to overtake Christmas celebrations. Even in the heart of a Christian, it's going to become more about the presence, more about the moments with our children, more about, and I'm not saying these things are bad things, but we're going to start exalting those experiences above our Lord if we're not careful. And so what do we do? We set aside moments like tonight. We show up to the house of the Lord on the Lord's day, even if it falls on our beloved holiday, and we worship Christ. Amen? Because He's worthy of our devotion. He's worthy of it. We can open presents after church. We could open them before church. We could open them later that night. We give you time here to be with your family on Sunday evenings. Amen? Let's come together and worship Christ because He's worthy of such devotion. He's worthy of it. This isn't about... I won't... I'll digress. I won't get into all that. The point is this. Why do you flee from idols? Why do you keep yourselves from idols? Because you've been united with Christ. This God whom you now know is the God who made you. This God whom you now know, who you've been brought into fellowship with, is the God who redeemed you by His own Son. This God whom you now know is the God who pardoned your sins. This God whom you now know is the God who caused you to be born again. 
This God whom you now know has granted to you the best gift in the entire world. A gift that will last not only in this life, but in the life to come. He has granted to you eternal life. And so what what are you called to do? Cling to Him in faith. Cling to Him in love. Cling to Him in perfect obedience. Cling to Christ and flee your idols. Amen? Amen. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. Let me pray for us now as we continue. Heavenly Father, we thank you for tonight. Father, we thank you for the truths that we see here in 1 John. That you have granted to us. You have united us into perfect fellowship with yourself through your Son. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has come and he has made known to us eternal life. So Lord, help us not to look on Christ tonight. Help us not to look on Christ today. Help us not to look on Christ ever and to put our nose up at Him or to put our hand out to Him. But Lord, help us to bow before the incarnate Son of God. Help us to bow before the One who has redeemed us. Help us, Lord, to adore you. And so, Father, I ask that you would help us to be men and women who love Christ above all. Help these boys and girls to, be, uh, to become young men, young women who love Christ above all. Lord, help us to love you well. Help us to obey you well. Lord, would you be with us now as we sing, as we celebrate you, as we lift you high. Be with us over the next few days as we do that as well. Empower us to do it. It's in the name of Christ I pray. Amen.